Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Huddle. Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. Now, COVID-19 has thrust mental health issues to the forefront. We're seeing the elderly and the workforce as well, most affected by the rigours of the pandemic and all sorts of things that we've had to deal with. So demand for mental health care is also seeing an uptick. If we look at a study by iPrice, it revealed that more Southeast Asians have searched for mental health products and services online during the pandemic. And those searches include Google searches in Indonesia, the Philippines, Malaysia, and that saw the highest growth in volume in the first five months of this year as compared to 2019. Mm, Intellect, a Singapore-based startup that wants to lower barriers to mental health care in Asia, has also said that it has reached more than 1 million users in just six months after its launch. And the company is now looking at expanding even further in the region. To tell us more about Intellect's app and the story behind it, we're joined now by Theodoric Chu, co-founder and CEO of Intellect. Good morning, Theodoric. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, tell us more about what led you to start Intellect and what led to the mental wellness app in particular. Yeah, so a bit of a brief background history. Myself, I've been tech for years now, but more personally on, on, on my own level, I started seeing a therapist when I was 16. Um, I had my own anxiety and, and troubles when I was, I was a teenager. I started working with therapists early on. So, so since then, I've really seen the value in actually having support when you need it, no matter how big or how small the issue is. And what I found is that across the years, a lot of folks across the region in Asia do struggle, but don't know where they turn to. Tell me more about that personal story, though. I mean, what sorts of anxieties were you dealing with and how did you cope, considering at the time the mental health care infrastructure was probably worse than it is now? Yeah, so that's a good question. I would say back, back when I was in, in secondary school, I had anxiety and had my first panic attack when I was 16, back when I was studying in, in, in fact, all basically. What I was lucky to have had, I was actually quite supportive parents that were, were accepting um, and quite open towards me getting to the spot I need which I realize is not one that every family would, would have in place as well. It depends on, on how the, the parents see what this means to them. And the good thing is that since that time, quite a number of years back, awareness is now quite quickly opening up and acceptance between the younger Gen Z millennials, but also between the, the, the more senior mature generation as well, where they're aware that this is not just sickness, but folks that actually need support from everyday matters as well. Yeah, tell us more about the app. It looks like it's getting quite a bit of traction, being downloaded more than 2 million times across 180 countries. Walk us through how this works, the app. Yeah, definitely. So, so a bit of background. We launched start of last year, and it's been quite a quick rise and growth since. We work with individuals. We have a consumer app, which I'll share a bit more in just a second. And we also work with employers, companies, insurers uh, to provide mental health care to, to millions of people across Asia. And Flex app basically has parts to it, right? On one hand, we have self-guided programs developed by psychologists. It helps people in bite-sized, self-serve, five-minute game-like sessions. And on the other hand, we connect individuals with live coaches, counsellors, psychologists who need high-touch care within minutes, basically. Talk about pricing. How does this work in terms of business model? Do you charge your consumers differently from your corporate clients? Hmm, definitely. So, so with the consumer app, it's, it's a subset of a full solution. Right now, for consumers, provide the self-serve app 
they get access to the library of self-guided programs, whereas for our enterprise clients and users where we, we support the workforces, they get a full suite, right, where they get live um, support from employees, life psychologists, stress helplines in place that doesn't just cover just crisis, nor just self-care, but a full spectrum which connects the dots for them as well. Pricing-wise, you're right. So for consumers, we have a freemium model. We do offer a, a good amount of a, a basic tier of support for free for the general public. We believe it's quite needed in this times as well. And for those who need more support, they can go on to subscribe to the page here. So can companies as well. Now, the thing is, this isn't the first app uh, claiming to help individuals with their mental health or claiming to help corporates with the mental health of their employees. A lot of them have hit the market in the last couple of years. What's different about this one? How are you trying to differentiate it from the rest? That's a good question. So I'll say the scoop up to this, right? First and foremost, you're right. This has been a space that people have been trying to think for a good number of years. We've seen a lot more success in, in, in the US and Europe as well than Asia where we believe it's quite underserved. So for us at Endpoint, the key number one difference is that we're building it from a localized Asian nuance perspective. We understand that in Asia, the biggest barrier isn't just cost in itself, but how we perceive and accept mental health support. So a lot of the things that we're trying to build around is getting people started with more of a lighter weight, streamlined support to get them into the into the journeys and thereafter get them towards the high touch care. That those that need it, seek it, they can find it there. Then the second key thing is that I, I think for us, we've really built it with the end user in mind, whether it's for employers, for employee or individual consumers. We've always built it for the end in mind where people actually enjoy using your platform and benefit from it. And it's not just checking boxes for, for companies, corporates or stuff like that. And we've seen it actually take up pretty well, right? as, as, as you mentioned earlier. We're now touching near 3 million users. We work with a lot of great clients and brands and um, it's quite quickly growing in awareness as well. Now, Frederick, you mentioned your app's been doing well. I'm just wondering, in the early days, I'm sure you identified this gap that needed to be filled. How do you go about actually building the app? Because you need actually a lot of help and expertise to actually um, get something off the ground. Yeah, definitely. So I'll say when we started a company back in late 2019, not too long ago, but it does seem quite distant with, with COVID happening. It, it was a quite a different time, in, in at least in Asia, for how people perceive mental health solutions, whether it's customers, whether it's investors, whether it's individuals. It was seen as nice to have, and, and now today, a lot more so, it's a, it's a needed requirement for a lot of people as well. So for, for me at the start, a few key, key, a few, a few key things were needed, right? Having a very clear sense of what the problem is. Not just trying broadly to go into mental health, but understanding the nuance that actually people hear, what we condensed it into was that they struggle but don't know where to turn to, don't know where to start. So that's what we're doing. Building away with, with, with uh, we've got a great team as well. We've got engineers, we've got clinicians on board, psychologists that support and rally behind what we're trying to do. And we've, we've gotten this expert to actually build something that helps people at scale as well. Mm. You mentioned the nuances between the nuances and the differences between Asia and the rest of the world. But I am sure that we can take this to an even more granular level when we talk about the Asian region. For example, I'm sure country to country, there are differences also in terms of how mental health is perceived. Give me an example of some of those micro nuances that you have to take into account as you continue improving this yeah, app. Great question. So I think it's two parts of this, right? Number one is that you're right. The first key, key thing that we do is making sure it's in a local tongue that they actually feel comfortable speaking with or, or, or using and interacting. So we have right now today over 10 languages, 10 different Asian languages that the app is available in with live support available in N plus languages as well. So that's number one. 
the, the other key things, I'll give an example. What, what we did a lot of, of digging into when we tried building intellect for different cultures was the, the different, I'll say, cultural, contextual differences and triggers we have, right? So someone in Singapore, as, as a young individual, may be more triggered by exam stresses. Someone in, say, Australia will be triggered by a different set of issues versus, say, exam stresses as much. So we take these different nuances and build programs around what would make sense for the audience in those markets as much as you can at scale. All right, Federico, as an app, I'm sure it collects a lot of data. Are there any insights you can wean from them, like demographics of your users, like age, gender? Is there any trends you can share with us? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, first and foremost, we do take very, very big safety say, steps towards ensuring confidentiality, privacy, and, and being compliant all key needs here. But we do definitely do studies on the broader trends. Now, what we do find is that in the past 18 months, while within Intellect itself, we see a good range of users from the youth between 18 and 35, broadly speaking. Definitely the, the more older generation as well, we see users utilizing it a lot more, um, even seasoned executives as well. But we see a lot more utilization amongst the youth. And we see that there's been spikes in um, the things that you've been hearing about as well, like stress, anxiety, burnout, people languishing in these times as well. And we see that continuing to happen as people get quite, I would say, exhausted from the measures having um, been needed, but also been quite put in place for some time as well. Let's talk about mental health at workplaces specifically. We know that COVID-19 has had an impact and a lot of studies have been released in regard to how severely people at the workplace have been affected due to all of the rigors and uh, stresses of COVID-19. But what have you found in your research in terms of how badly people have been affected? Yeah, so, so one of the things we found is that actually mental health as a struggle has been a brooding topic for, for a good number of years now. It's, it's, not, it's not something new to say, but it's become a lot more in the spotlight in the past year and two. And the trend we found is that a few key things now are trending like this thing, this, this thing of the great resignation, what has been burnout and, and, and different matters like this as well. I think it boils on really to the core of the, what people feel and what they expect as well. Right? And, and given this very, very fluid concept of how things are going on around the world, the trends also move pretty fast here. Uh, what's quite key to us is that two things have changed, right? The way people work and also the expectations that people have in the workplace to be itself. So these two things are different. There's higher toll on how we actually work today because there's bloodlines, but also what we expect from our employers have quite drastically changed from just having a base salary today back then to today needing stuff like coverage and support for the individuals, the families, the spouses, and even things like mental coverage as well. Mm. Speaking just anecdotally, right, among companies, I sense that while they do recognize a need to address the mental health of employees, a lot of them also feel like you know, it's not their responsibility to do this. I'd like to get your views on this, though, based on your experience. To what extent might you still find yourself having to make a business case to employers to invest meaningfully in their employees' mental health, not just be checking the boxes, you know? But going beyond that, that's a good point. And and I'll say it, it's been a lot more eased up. Employees see the need more easier today, as opposed to to two years back in itself. But I'll say we we do every now and then need to make a case, right? Of how actually it doesn't just help your employees' well-being, but and fundamentally for businesses, a big part of how does it help their bottom lines as well? So so in in light of this, what I'll share is that typically the bulk of employees are facing some moderate to high level of stress. They're not clinical risk, they're not purely fully healthy, they're in some form of moderate high stress. And what, one of the, uh, the big studies and trends that we see is that 
people at the core of every company, right? How they feel is how they think and how they do as well. So if your people start feeling bad, having low morale, productivity, it quite quickly affects the output of the team and the company and their bottom lines as well. So I think it's growing more increasingly important that an individual state of mind does quite consequently affect the company's bottom line just because it trickles towards how they do and how the company does um, afterwards as well. Yeah, I think having events as well around these conversations helps quite a lot. And you've got one you've just completed. It's called the Mental Health Festival Asia 2021. So it's a two-day virtual conference held last month. Walk us through what was the event all about, some of the highlights, and how much perhaps it has helped to normalize mental health conversations. Yeah, definitely. So and like a big part of our mission really is not just scaling access to mental health support when people need it, but also shifting the narrative that mental health applies to everyone, right? Not just those you know, clinical in need, but how big a hospital the problem is, it applies to us. So, so right, we, we did this festival, Mental Festival Asia 2021, actually just last week. It was a two-day virtual event, one day on the public sector of mental health and one day on the work sector of mental health, right? So how different people spoke. So we invited a lot of great people on board. We had local icons like Gunnett Singh, Janet Al, Benjamin King, and that we joined the event and speak from their own personal experiences. We had public sector leaders like David Chua, who was the, who was the CEO of, of uh, NYC. Um, and we had a lot of thought leaders as well as HR directs like the Ingo Law Bender, who's the um, director of people at Food Panda. So we basically share from different landscape views of how the youth, the working population, and even the government sees mental health today itself. You know, I think it's very useful to have apps like these so that, you know, mental health issues can even become mobile. Mental health treatment, in a way, is becoming mobile and easier to manage for individuals as well as corporations. But, you know, psychologists might tell you, you know, it's not so easy. An app isn't enough. How do you advise users in terms of deciding whether or not the app is enough and what line needs to be crossed before they then realize that, okay, look, I'm going to need more intense and professional help here? Yeah, that's, that's a very valid point. So one of the things that actually, because we work with a lot of psychologists ourselves as well, I'll say there's two parts here. People that are for actually scaling access to more people and people who are apprehensive because it's a new thing and naturally so there's, there's, there's doubts behind it. So for us, what we're trying to solve for and what, what first off I share is that you're right, the most effective form of mental health treatment and care, it's face-to-face with a therapist, a psychiatrist, a counsellor. That's the most immersive form of it. The drawback to that is that you can't scale this to as many people who need it as, as you can with, with a digital platform. So mm-hmm. what we're solving for in the first tranche is actually scaling this to millions of people. We've done that. The next layer is getting more immersion behind how can we impact people who are on the platform. So Enflag at its core, it's meant to be a catalyst, a trigger for people getting started on their mental health journeys. Mm. And we're adding different layers with psychologists, counsellors, coaches to get the high-touch care in there after as well. They're talking about getting started. So we understand back in August, you've just raised $2.2 million in pre-Series A funding. Let's talk about what your plans are with all the funds you've raised. What's going to be happening with the monies you've been raising and where will you be putting it to use? Yeah, so, so I'll say three big parts, right? One big part of it's really going to the research and development, how we develop a product to be more, having more efficacy, being more evidence-based and effective. We do the work with a lot of great universities to drive research with efficacy proven, doubling down on that more. We're also doing a lot more work into bringing, bringing on great people to join our, our tech company, as well as expanding markets across Asia. We have quite a, a regional ambition, uh, not just confined to Singapore, where it's, it's our, our home ground, but also 
serving more people across the bank as well. Some might say that, you know, if your current plans succeed, you will very, very soon be on your way to normalizing mental health conversations, right? And mental health treatment in general. What do you think you'll be looking at at that stage, you know, beyond normalization? What's next, do you think, in the mental health sphere? Yeah, so the, the big trend that we're trying to push towards, and we see this happening more and more, so it, it's similar to what meditation has, has come from 10 years back as well. Right? Meditation was more of an Eastern methodology where it took a while to get to its mainstream, and now today itself, you see things on, on documentaries on Netflix, you see things happening where people are just openly talk about meditation as everyday thing. What we're trying to do more and more with mental health is make it similarly mainstream, not just the, the psychiatry part, but really, really on the every struggle where if you need some form of support, you pop into the intellect app or whatever resources there are out there around you to get everyday support. Not wait till you are in more distress, but start early on. Just like health, physical health, you see, you go to the gym, you see, you have a salad. What's the equivalent for mental health? It's what we're trying to get towards early on as well. All right. Thank you very much for that, Theo. Theodoric Chu, co-founder and CEO of Intellect. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Huddle on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.